Last week on Mother's Day, we started this series running with the giants and I invited a giant of faith in my life, my mom, to speak a powerful message. If you missed it because you were traveling or visiting your mom in a different place, uh, you can check that out at TimberCreekChurch.com. But really more than just giants in my life, uh, Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame. All of these different larger than life characters in the word of God, their stories and how they had faith. And we want to run along with the giants. And Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let's you know, shake off anything that would trip us up and let's run with perseverance the race set out for us. But notice it says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. When you think of the Olympic Games and you think of the track and the stadium filled with hundreds of thousands of people and they're cheering and they're rooting, it's just a mass... It's a huge roar. Uh, what would it be like if in this huge roar of this cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, encouraging us, spurring us on towards good works and, and to run our own race, what would it be if one of these characters from the word could step down and run the race with us for a, a couple of laps and say, here's what I've learned. Here's some in, what I challenge you to do. Well, that's what this series is in, intended to do is take a character from the great cloud of witnesses through the word of God, uh, dissect what they've said, what they experienced, and, and then offer some ways that we can run with them. Your race set out that you're supposed to run. Your grandma cannot run your your race for you. Uh, that's a kind of a funny image for some of you too, grandma running your race. Uh, but some of you, you, you think your, your parents can't run the race for you. You have to run the race God set out for you. And we, we are not alone in that. You can learn from those around us. Uh, I have the privilege of introducing, uh, he's not a stranger to our church unless you uh, are relatively new to Timber Creek, uh, but uh, a mentor of mine. When I thought of this series, I asked my mom to start on Mother's Day. I asked my dad to close us down this series on Father's Day. And then I thought of one other person who, besides my mom and dad, are really the single most influential person in my life. And that is Wayne Lee, who uh, I met through Southeastern University, was a friend of my dad, uh, a mentor to my, own, to my own father, and a mentor now to me. Uh, when we went through transition from one pastor ha passing the baton to another, uh, Dr. Lee helped our deacon team and us as pastors, my predecessor, Andy Saligay, and I, we, we, he was able to help us through that process and, and, and help our church. Uh, when he came the week before I began the pastorate, he, uh, he shared a prophecy of that he felt like God was saying to us that we were going to be expanding and, 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 and expanding our borders. And here we are almost three years later and God is really stirring our borders when we are ready to launch our Timber Creek Nacogdoches campus uh, in the very near future. So God is up to something big. I trust this man. He is not only a professor, he's a pastor. He is an incredible man of God. Um, I, I have been on trips with him where even in... Uh, just as he stepped out to get ready and, and shave in the bathroom, I, 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 would, I was getting around in the hotel room and I could hear him in the bathroom just praying. And I, I hear him pray and I'm going, God, I want to pray like that. And I'm learning and I'm learning. And uh, he is a consultant for thousands of leaders and thousands, literally thousands of churches across the world, him and his wife. And it's our privilege to have him share how we can run with the giants today, not only from the word, but from his own life. Would you help me welcome Dr. Wayne Lee? Love you, dear brother. Love you, brother.
a mentor in everything but technology. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at everything but turning on the mic. Graduates, congratulations. What a delight to be with you today in this process. Turn with me to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. That's the giant that I'd like to run with this morning. You have, an, you have a giant here. You have a phenomenal pastor and pastoral team. I am thrilled over the years that I have been able to be a part, mostly behind the scenes. And occasionally, you know, when I come, it feels like I've just been here, but it, it, it turns out to be years in between. But what, what a delight to be with you this morning, and I love your pastor. I pray for them. I, he, I hear the Lord speak um, in privately as I'm praying for you. It, it seems now in this next season, I'm hearing the Lord, is he's going to call men and women into ministry. He's going to call. If you're going to reach East Texas, there's going to have to be a lot of people that God calls. And so be open for the Lord uh, to call you. I think that if I have a life lesson uh, as running with giants, it would be the Lord called me early to make a difference, to make a difference. That would be my life lesson. I've actually had a relationship and loved the Lord now for and walked with him for 70 years. I can't remember a day of my life that I did not love God. I can't remember one day of my life that I did not love God. And so out of years of ministry, as you look back, now I'm at the point where I'm, I'm looking back and I'm saying, what are the giant lessons that God has taught me in life? What are those giant lessons that if I were 18, if I were 19 again, I, I would want somebody to tell me those lessons. First of all, let me tell you what I, the lessons I can't talk to you about. You got, you got to know in life what you know and what you don't know. There's a whole bunch that you don't know. I know nothing about marriage. My father's 94, my mother's 92. They're still living. If they, if they make it <laughs> until Christmas Eve, they will have been married 74 years. My wife's parents have passed on, but they were married 64 years. And if I make it 27 more days, I will have been married to my wife for 50 years. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. She is so strong-willed. I can talk about her. She's not here this morning. And I am so strong-willed. It's going to be a miracle that we make it 27 more days until our 50th anniversary. I have nothing to say about marriage this morning. I have no wisdom. Oh, early on, I had all kinds of wisdom, but you just get to, you get beat out of you by the time you get to this age. I have nothing to say about parenting. I have two sons. Both of them are pastors. 
They're planting churches. They love God. They're far more spiritual than their mother and I. They come around us prophesying and all that kind of good stuff. I was with my grandchildren just the other day, and there are seven of them, and six of them tell me we feel a call for full-time ministry. But I think I did a horrible job in parenting. Because my sons, although they're planting churches, call me about every other week, and I have to rush to Walmart to mail them some money to get to the next week. I have horrible paint, uh, parenting skills. What's wrong with me? You know, I want to just say to him, get a job. <laughs> I know you're planning a church, but can't you work also? <laughs> Do it on the side. So I have nothing to say. If you came this morning just on the edge of your seating and saying, yes, I want giant lessons on marriage and parenting, I know nothing, I know nothing about that. <laughs> One day I may, but <laughs> not today. I do know about making a difference. I have lived that life. The giant this morning of Ezekiel comes on the scene at about your age, about 19 or 20. Where I at that age was broken, bruised, and fractured on the inside. I had no skills, I had no knowledge, <laughs> ignorant as dirt, but I was fractured and broke broken, I'd, my inferiority was just overwhelming. I, I was bruised on the inside, but Ezekiel, it wasn't an inside problem, it was an outside problem. His parents and the leaders of Israel at about 20,000 were taken out of Israel and carried 900 miles to Babylon. When he had to go, when his family was ripped out of Israel and he had to go, although his father was a priest, he had no inclination toward ministry. The first group with Daniel went into the inside of the city and that's where they were. The second group of which Ezekiel was a part of went to the outside, outside the wall of Babylon. And by the time he sees them in their strait and in their condition, he recognizes he's got to help them. And that's where I hope you are today. I hope you're at the point where you say, because of the difficulty in our world, I have got to make a difference. I have got to make a difference. So as I pull back from 50 years of ministry, and yes, world impact, here are the life lessons that I'd like for you to comprehend today. Try to get, grab your, your arms around. I have three of them. One, pursue God and his wisdom with all of your heart. You actually will never know what you need to do in life. Could Ezekiel have imagined that a foreign power would come in 
and rip them from their home and carry them to a foreign land where they could do no religion the way they did it. There was no nifty numbers going on here. There was no blood sacrifices. There's no way that you can prepare for that. But you can pursue God and God knows what's going to be ahead in your life. The second one is this. You have got to fly with the eagles, not run with the pigs. Who you connect to and who you team with will make all of the difference in the world. And the last lesson this morning is you have got to make long-term decisions. You will only have the opportunity in life to specialize in about two areas. It takes 10,000 hours to master any subject. If you're going to master the violin, if you're going to master a trade, if you're going to master it, it'll take you 10,000 hours. That's about 10 hours a week for 20 years. So you can only master about two things in life. My encouragement is this, master God and his wisdom first. Master that first. I want to know this. Now, all of God's wisdom is not just here. There's, this is not a comprehensive understanding, but it is the final authority and it's a great place to start. But you have got to master the wisdom of God. And the second thing you've got to master is that you've got to master relationships. You've got to get along with some people. And so we want to talk about that a little bit. And the third thing is that you have to master your contribution to society, to the kingdom of God. You've got to master that. And you won't know what that is early. That's the reason I say go, go to God first. But about the time you get into your 30s and 40s, you will begin to recognize, I have a contribution that I can master. It's going to take about 10,000 hours. It'll take you about 20 years to do it. I urge you to condense your thinking. I'm going to pursue God first and his wisdom. I'm going to build strong relationships and then eventually I am going to master my contribution to the kingdom of God and to society. The first one is this, pursue God. That's what, he, that's what Ezekiel did. Not knowing if I fit the priesthood, I, you know, early on you just, you just don't know. You just don't know. But you've got to pursue God. I heard my grandchildren the other day say to Mimi, my wife, can't believe that I'm calling Mimi. It's yesterday that we were in arms at 18 years old. Mimi, why did you, master, why did you marry Papa? Why did you marry him? And I, I heard her say something I hadn't heard her in years say. I was laying in my dorm room at Southeastern and the girls' dorm in those days were right beside the tabernacle and was open. And I heard somebody praying in there. It was a male voice. I said to my roommate, I don't know if that's the guy, but I want to marry somebody who's seeking God. My suspicion is if they're seeking at 18, 
By the time we get to 80, they'll still be seeking God. And that person was me. Okay, I'm, <laughs> in those days, I was seeking out of my brokenness, out of my inadequacy, out of my desperate need for God. But I still find myself desperate for God. So you're going to have to master the wisdom of God. The truth of the matter is that in the fall, our mind was darkened. So now we come to the wrong conclusions naturally. And our mind has got to be renewed to think like God. And it doesn't happen automatically. Reading through the scriptures one time is like not going to do it. You have decided on what am I going to master? Are you going to master technology? Oh, that may work as your contribution, but it won't work to pursue God. I have got to master this pursuing of God and his wisdom. My 10,000 hours have got to be spent. I would urge you to do this. You don't know what you're going to need but God knows what you're going to need, and if you pursue him, you'll get what you need in life. So my encouragement is pursue God first. Let me read, if you would, starting at verse 1 out of Ezekiel 37. God grabbed me. I'm reading out of the message. God grabbed me. God's spirit took me up and set me down in the middle of an open plain strode with, boon, with bones. He led me around and among them a lot of bones. There were bones all over the plain, dry bones, bleached by the sun. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? <laughs> and I said, master, God, only you know that. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones, dry bones. Listen to the message of God. God the master told these dry bones, watch this. I'm bringing, I'm bringing the breath of life to you and you'll come to life. I'll attach sinew to you. I'll cover you with skin and breathe life into you. And you will come alive and you will realize that I am God. I prophesied just as had been commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, oh, a rushing. And bone moved and came together bone to bone. I kept watching sinew formed and muscle came on the bones. Then the, then the skin stretched over them, and there was, but there was no breath in them. Oh, how I have watched God. Creator of the dry place in my life, his very life and ministry by pursuing him. By pursuing him. And when I say pursuing him is this, you know, I don't think there's any particular way exactly to do it. But you have to hunger for something. Now, here's what you have to do. And you have to keep putting yourself in a position where if God doesn't help you, you are a miserable failure. 
See, most people will not do that. Most people live in the safe lane. They won't put themselves in the position where if God doesn't help me, I won't be able to do this. Because that pursuing God doesn't happen automatically simply because it's a discipline. You've got to put yourself into a position in life over and over again where I have to have God. Yesterday when I cranked up the car and drove out of the... I needed to have a word from God. And I need for him to help me deliver it. I need for him to help anoint your ears to hear it. I have to have God. Why would I put myself in a position at 70 years old that I have to have God? Because I have found that I don't pursue him unless I have to have him. Don't play it safe. Get in a place where you have to have God if you're going to succeed. And it will, it will drive you to pursue him. The challenge needs to be bigger than you are. The situation needs to be bigger than you are so that you have to pursue God. The second thing is you've got to, I've said it in the outline, maybe I did, if, you, if you're filling in the blank on that A, it's pursue God and his wisdom, not circumstantial advantages. Even if dreams have died, God makes the difference. He raises up dead things. I have a dream that I've had all of my life since I begin to get that special deed that I thought the Lord wanted me to do. And just in the last couple weeks, I have got a phone call that basically said, this dream that I thought was dead, God is breathing life back into it. Only God can do that kind of thing. I urge you to pursue God and put yourself in a place where if God doesn't help you, you're going to fail miserably. The second thing in the outline then is fly with the eagles. Fly with the eagles. Don't run with the pigs. The wind of God lifts. Reach up, not down. Work with people who are better than you are. Work with people who intimidate you, who compliment you. Don't hang out with people who agree with you, who like your opinions. Work with people who change your opinions. If you were here the last time, you know I said to you in my own personal testimony that I'd graduated the lower part of the high school class and I was failing in college. One of the girls that I ran with in my gang, I told her I was having to leave college because I was failing. She said, you have a brilliant mind, tell me why are you failing college? And I said, I can't read. She said, well, reading is a skill. It's built on phonics. And I said, what was phonics? What's that? She said, you, you spell it out. A says A, B says B. I said, they taught me to read by sight, not by sound. She said, well, you're missing a major piece then. Now, the girl did so well that I married her. But she has challenged me every day of my life.
That's the reason I said, I don't know if I'm going to make it 27 more days. <laughs> she doesn't accept anything for face value. She's always ahead of me in thought. I, you know, when I get there, I'm finally out of breath. And she says, well, I've been waiting for you here in Canaan. What's wrong with you? Now, why would the Lord give me somebody that challenged me all the time? I need it. She said to me just this week, you're hard-headed. You can hardly work with anybody, can you? I said, I work with everybody well except you. <laughs> and God gave this angel to me 50 years ago, and she has saved my hide but I had to agree that I am going to have on my team people who will challenge me. They will challenge me. You've got to, you've got to put on your team at every stage of life. God, God doesn't give you a team. You have to create. You have to put yourself into those kind of environments and say, Lord, help me to create a team that is complementary. Can't pull up yourself by the bootstraps even though you have a team. What you need is God to lift you. God to lift you. Put yourself in a position where you need the right people on your team in that season of life. And try to listen to God to help you. You need a complementary team. In every team, Jesus would always send them out in team, but every team has to have complementary. These four qualities, clusters of gifts are needed in every good team. You need to be able to communicate. Oh, maybe I can give something to that. You need to be able to love and be compassionate. I have nothing to do with that. My wife is the compassionate one. You need some knowledge. <laughs> well, I can learn things. But a lot of times you walk into scenes where the knowledge you have is in, inadequate, so you need that, and then you need that, uh, that, that ability, that power, that faith uh, to, to thrust it. But be careful, be careful because God will bring on your team people you don't like. I, I was trying to pull churches together in the, the Palm Beaches where I pastored, and I had this one, I'll not mention the denomination, who wouldn't cooperate with me because I spoke in tongues. And he said, I'm not, I'm not cooperating. I said, well, why, why not? I'm not forcing it on you. I just, it's a practice that I have. And he says, at best, it is psychological. At worst, it's demonic. I said, you're joking me. You read, can you read it in the scriptures? Yes, he said, but that was for the first century and not for this century. Well, they needed the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need the Holy Spirit. But it was not good enough for him. So he said, I, I'm not going to work with you. When I went home and, and told the Lord, now, Lord, bring fire out of heaven and smite him. <laughs> the Lord said, I've got a better idea. Why don't you go and sit at his feet? And learn everything that he knows about ministry. I'll cut off his feet, but I'm not sitting at him. <laughs> so sometimes the Lord brings on, onto your team people you don't even like. But I went and sat at his feet. What I found is, is this. Sometimes flying with the eagles means that you act like Jesus even when other people act like swine. 
but you have got to put a team together and you're going to have to invest some time into those relationships. The last one is this. In your outline, make life mission decisions for the long haul, not short-term decision for today's gratification. God breathes new life into you and your dreams. You can see that the life lessons from the giants are going to be long-term decisions. What we tend to think is that our life is independent from God. Our life's over here with our kids and, and, and what we're going to do and our vocation and everything. And then God and his church is over here. And these two, yes, we can bring them together, but they're not the same thing. But God doesn't see life in those compartments. He sees when he brought you into the kingdom, you in his mission, in his mission. And that your vocation should come out of his mission. So you should be contributing to his kingdom mission and practicing it in your vocation. All of the major vocations can add, be added into the six large categories of the kingdom of God. You will either be called into a leadership role. Leadership is one. Communication is one. Health care or family or taking care of people is another. Education and knowledge, knowing some stuff is the fourth. The fifth is sales and technology. And the sixth is management, areas of finances or areas of business or construction or farming, those kinds of areas. So many people don't see themselves as called by God out of his mission to the world and that their vocation should follow that trajectory and that they have to contribute both to the kingdom and specialize in their vocation. But you've got to decide, besides pursuing God and getting a team, you have got to decide that I'm going to make a contribution. And it is going to be what I can do the best in the world. What is it that I'm the best in the world at? You usually don't see that until your 30s and 40s. You usually don't see it. So that's the reason I said, pursue God first. He'll, he'll uh, divide the pathway and you'll begin to try out various things. I talked to a 15-year-old this morning and said, where are you going in life? And he said, I don't have a clue. I said, you're right on track. You're right on track. You shouldn't have a clue at 15. Only know one thing, seek God with all of your heart. He'll, he'll direct your pathways. He'll direct your pathways. But at, in the 30s and 40s, you'll begin saying, I'm not very good at this. I don't think I'm very good at this. I think I'm a little bit better at this. And then you have to make decisions that are missional decisions for you and God. They can't be separated. You can't make, this is good for me, but it's not good for God. Or this is good for God, not good for me. It's got to be together. 
And so you've got to make major decisions. He was the first, he was the first major decision. I'm, I'm in my 30s. I'm in my 40s. My first decision was after college, do I go on in seminary or do I start my, my vocation? I, I was determined to get out of college without owing anything. So I had to work three jobs and Sherry had to work two jobs. We're both going to school. We probably shouldn't have married that early. It was, it was tough. She said, because her father had a business and he invited us into it, look, we can make money, we can rest, let's do this. I said, I, I, I can't do that, baby. We, we got to go to seminary. Oh, my God. Seminary? You know how hard that's going to be? You know how dumb you are? She didn't say that, but, but I could feel it. <laughs> and she's, she's, she tells the truth. She's a straight arrow. You know, would to God that she would bend the arrow occasionally. She's a straight arrow. She says, it's going to be, it's going to be murder. You're going to have to stay up all night studying with, with your inadequacies. I, I, I said, I, did, I, I know it, I know it, I know it, but I just can't. I, I, I've got to go to seminary. If she were here tonight, today, and stand, standing on this pulpit, she would say to you, one of the best decisions we made is early, you going to seminary, how you desperately needed it, is what she would add. Still paying dividends today. The decision is that you make missional decisions. Could have made money, could have a partnership, could have had an easier life. Is really that what I want? Or do I want to do what God wants? Do I, do, do I want to take perhaps the most difficult pathway and stretch myself to the future? The second decision is that after the pastoring was over, I've pastored for 30 years now, and the Lord came to me in prayer and said, okay, I relieve you of the call. You do not have to follow me anymore in ministry. You do not have to sacrifice and follow in ministry. Whatever you put your hands to, I will bless. I said, are you serious? I, are you telling me I can make as much money as I want to? I have this entrepreneur kind of thing on the inside. And I, I, you know, I, I love business and love the idea of making money. I, I said, wow, this is phenomenal. At least for the first couple of days, I said it was phenomenal. So I got, <laughs> I thought I got a sort of a medium kind of, um, of deal. And I, um, I, I got a contract for my construction company to plant a church in Vail, Colorado. <laughs> That's what I said too. Isn't this wonderful? I, I, I set my salary. The construction company was going to pay the salary and, pay, and, and uh, build me a house because it was a construction company. And then I got to think, all right, the, all right, now, I don't like this, Lord. I always went to you and you told me what to do. Now you're going to leave it up to me? I can do what I want to? I don't want to do that. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. No, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You've walked with me for 30 years. You ought to know. Yeah, but I don't know. I've depended upon your voice to tell me. Do what you want, I'll bless you. What would God do in this scene? 
My other option was go to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Have you ever been to Minneapolis? Don't go. Let me save you. Do not go there. I said to my friends, hey, God, I was born in Florida and did all of my ministry in Florida. God hasn't sent me to to uh, palm trees. I could go anywhere and serve God. One morning, I punched the 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 thermometer in the car when I was going to the church that I was that I was restarting, and it was 39 below zero. I prayed this prayer on the way, Lord. If you'll let me get back to the palm trees, I'll do anything. <laughs> I'll hit do anything. I did not take the the, the Vail, Colorado. I visited it six times. I'd like to visit it again, but I did not take it. I made long-term missional for a quarter of the salary. I said, I think that Jesus' kind of decision is this. So you've got to make missional decisions. In the 80s, I had this wonderful friend who helped me at that church that I stayed at 15 years. He got ready to go to be with glory, to, to the Lord, to, to glory. And just before he left, he said, come meet me at Harpoon Louise on the, on the bay and let's talk. And he wrote me out of check for a million dollars and slid it across the table. And said, I've taken care of my family and my wife of 40 years. Everybody's been taken care of. This is for you. He did not know that I had made a vow to God in that first pastorate. And I said, Lord, if you'll bless me and if you'll help me to make a difference and have world impact, I'll never take more than a good living and I'll trust you to the very end. I made that vow to the Lord. And so when Ken pushed the, the check across the table, I said to him, Ken, I can't do this. I can't do this. This would be a temporary decision. I don't need a million dollars. I need, because I'm going to help pastors and churches all over the world. I need billions of dollars. I can't sell out. I can't sell out, though it would be absolutely phenomenal to receive this. I can't sell out for the short term. I've got to make a missional decision for God's kingdom. You will have to make decisions. I urge you, make long-term missional decisions for God and your vocation. If you will, seek God first. Build a team that intimidates you and try to hook up with people who are better than you. How many times as dean of the graduates who did get ready to walk in the room, all PhDs around the table and me say to myself, now you're the dumbest one in the room. Let's see if you can learn something today. Just live in intimidation. Why would you put yourself in that? Because you need to have a strong team around you. You need to put yourself in a situation where you're dependent upon God and other people. And then you need to make life decisions 
that advance the kingdom of God and advance your specialty. Nobody in the world knows more about church than I do. I have concentrated for the last 25 to 30 years on one thing, the local church. I have asked, I said in my heart, what is it that you can be the best at in the world? But you don't get there until your 30s and 40s and now you've got to spend 10,000 hours getting the best at this. If you will do it, pursue God first, pull teams in that season around you and then master your specialty. Wow, you will have world impact. The thing, the great thing about it is I'm totally dependent upon the Lord. I don't care what he asks me to do. It's not too good for me. I'll work on a church of five. I'll work on a church of 10. I'll develop new systems. I don't, I don't care. I work for him. I do it at his bidding. I follow him. I pursue him as hard today as I did when I was a teenager. I urge you to pursue God with all of your heart. Get his wisdom. Get his wisdom so that you master the wisdom of God. All that I need to hear is somebody say something and say, that, that's not how God sees that at all. Your mind is darkened. You do not naturally know it. You've got to pursue God. Then you've got to put a team around you in that season. Teams are for seasons. Now, if you could get somebody like my Sherry to stay with you all of your life, you are most fortunate. Most fortunate. And then make life decisions. Here's the prayer that I'm going to give you when you exit, and I want you to pray with me now and this week. Will you pray it? I'll give it to you in phrases. Will you pray it out loud? Lord, help me to pursue you and your wisdom. Not circumstantial advantages. Help me to fly with the eagles. I don't have it on here, but just say it. And not run with the pigs. Let the wind of God lift me. Help me not to short-circuit your purposes for self-gratification, but to make missional decisions for life that will fulfill your purposes through my life. Master those that are under the sound of my voice, I pray that you would touch them inside with a deep, desire, a thirst, a hunger, a saltiness to seek you. Let your hand be upon these young people and pick out, pick out. There are some that you are calling midlife in this congregation and I ask that you would give them a saltiness about pursuing you and your wisdom. Lord, help them move in life and start pulling to themselves people who would be complementary in this particular season whom they could fly with. Eagles don't flock. Eagles soar. 
Lord, help them to soar with eagles. And let them make life decisions that advance the kingdom and their own life. I ask your hand to be upon them and upon this congregation. I ask the next season of this congregation to be driven by leaders who step out and say, God has called me. Pastor God is calling me. I ask that you, the spirit of the living God, would brood over this congregation. Yes, even over East Texas. And draw men and women, young and old, into the kingdom of God to be used as the army. Let sinew, let strength, let the wind of God breathe upon this army, O oh God. Breathe fresh wind upon this army. And let it live, let it stand up, let it conquer communities. Let it make a difference so that men and women can change families, the course of cities, and yes, even the course of nations. Yes, God. Let your hand be upon them now. The power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth.